0: Welcome to Inspiring People and Places, where we interview national leaders in the architectural, engineering, construction, and development industry in an effort to educate, innovate, and inspire industry professionals to disrupt the status quo, improve their project teams, and steward public and private investments more effectively. I'm your host, BJ Kramer, President and CEO of MCFA. Allow me to introduce today's guest. All right. Inspiring people and places. Excited for our next guest. Before I read his bio, we've talked about infrastructure and the state of infrastructure in the United States, the effect that that may, you know, infrastructure investment has on our nation and the safety of that infrastructure or or the effect of that infrastructure on public safety. Uh, So our next guest is very timely. Uh, Dan Halber is vice president at Transportation Resource Association, TRA. He has over 25 years specializing in transportation operations, maintenance, and safety projects. He focuses on key business process elements, such as plans, procedures, rules, structures, and implementation practices, and he works closely with transportation authorities and government agencies. Dan, excited to have you on the show.
1: Uh, welcome. Thank you, BJ. I'm excited to be here. And,
0: and I should, should uh, point out, Philadelphia native, Philadelphia educated, uh, UPenn, Temple, and villanova university so uh go philadelphia Uh, hit them all (laughs) that's right um so dan great to have you on the show we typically you know start the show not me reading all about your resume but you telling us really about your career path and and what's led you to becoming an expert and when your interest in uh the transportation industry and and the engineering industry uh really came about so where did it all begin
1: uh, would you like the thirty-second version or the uh, the, the ten-minute? Give us version? the ten-minute some, version. Somewhere in between. We got to we got okay. to have some um, detail to this. Expertise okay, right. doesn't so, grow overnight. Uh, we we talked a little bit about. Uh, you mentioned uh, education. You know, the, the only reason that I ever got into the University of Pennsylvania was because my father worked there. So I was I was a terrible student. Uh, so uh, you know, and, um, when I was growing up. Um, my uh, my my parents lived in uh, Collingswood, which is uh, two towns uh, outside of Philadelphia. Here, just just on the other side of the river in, uh, in New Jersey, they they still live there actually. And my father worked at, at Penn. So my father, when when he was still in that job when he was younger, would take the train. Uh, he would take the Patco high speed line from Collingswood into Eighth and Market here in Center City, and then he would take the L um, from Center or from Eighth uh, and Market out to. 34th street, yep. uh, out to Penn's my, my wife and, does uh, the
0: exact same commute to uh children's hospital. So I, I know, okay. I know it well. yeah.
1: yeah, it's, uh, it's probably a little bit less, uh, less colorful maybe than it used to be <laughs> uh, years ago. My father was doing it more, but, uh, my, my parents, uh, I'm, I'm one of six kids. So, so my parents were, were a little bit, you know, sort of forced into, uh, Either you know, free ranging uh, with with some of the some of the middle and, and older kids uh, like myself, or, or uh, you know, in, in my father's case, having to put up with my company maybe more than he he might have <laughs> liked sometimes. So so I, I took that train ride with him a lot uh, as a kid. You know, even though I, I've never really uh, received my mail in Philadelphia. You know, I, I uh, I've always sort of considered myself somebody who's who's grown up in the city. I, I spent a ton of time in West Philly as a kid and and. Uh, you know even got to the point where where my parents when i was still fairly young probably uh oh gosh maybe 10 or 12 would would let me take the train into center city on my own as well and and that's just kind of how i grew up was was on trains like that so when i started my undergraduate work at the university of pennsylvania i actually had an interest in engineering was never really super with math it was one of those one of those things that, that kind of held me back yeah. and and uh you know that part of it scared me a little bit i ended up urban studies is the the program uh, at the university of pennsylvania and it turned out to be a great choice for me it's a, a program that at the time you know, was fairly innovative. I mean, there, there weren't so many other programs like that at, at other universities. It was uh, a mix of, um, obviously, uh, you know, urban and, and civic topics, but, you know, public policy stuff, and, and it had a little sprinkle of an engineering bent, uh as well, or, or uh, you know, sort of what we think of now as the, the built environment. Yeah, you know, some, of the, the some of the forefathers bent,
0: of urban planning came out of, or teaching at Penn, right? That yes, program was yes. built by Edmund Bacon? Yes. Uh, yep. And, yep. And and that, that crew. I'll actually they, I'll they actually were... put up a... Uh, I I don't know when this was. The original. We'll put. We'll we'll link this in the show notes just as kind of a an aside. There's a YouTube 45 minute clip of how the city of Philadelphia was planned, and it's a mm. it's a big. I'll, I'll put it up. So a total aside to that. And and another aside while I'm on, you know, while I'm taking the mic from you, Mike Venuto, who is the chief engineer at Delaware River Report Authority, who oversees you know, Mike? the PACO, he is going to be a guest coming up here in March on the show. So we're uh-huh. excited to have him. he will be a good one. Yeah, he will be a good one. Yeah,
1: they have a lot going on over there. Sure do. Yeah, I mean, I, I... Kind of grew up on on Packo, um, you know. And, and uh, yeah, as as I was working through that undergrad program, I was lucky enough to have an internship uh, with the woman who ran the Broad Street Subway at the time when when I was a, a junior huh. there at uh, at Penn. That was fascinating. That was um, a lot less gray hair ago, and and <laughs> a lot longer hair ago. But um, but that was fascinating. And and uh, I spent. She was just super, super generous with her time and, and made sure that I got exposed to just every aspect of, of how the Broad Street subway ran from administrative to maintenance to operations topics. So so that kind of reinforced what I what I already kind of liked about, about trains and subways and that kind of thing. And then I actually did have a, a sort of an internship, kind of a paid internship with uh, the DRPA oh, okay. uh, after that. <laughs> um, so yeah, very, very early on in, in, uh, their time when I had just moved to one port center to that, to that new Michael Graves building at awesome. the time. Yeah, that was, uh, that was a great experience as well. And then, um, sort of atypical maybe of what happens the last few years. I, I started this job. This job was actually posted within urban studies at, at Penn when I was a, a senior and I, I was kind of getting to the end of my senior year and, and looking for something and at the recommendation of the program director looked at this job and, and couldn't have worked out better for me. I, I've been in the same job uh, with the same company for, for 25 years. Wow. You know, so, so far so good. I, I joke, they haven't kicked me out. That's what counts. Talk
0: to us <laughs> about uh, what's, what's been the career path besides just, you know, talk to us a little bit about project experience and coming in as a, as a junior and rising to the rank of VP and, and the types of expertise you now have and, and the projects you oversee. Yeah. Talk to us about that path.
1: I was thinking about this uh, the last couple of days, prepping to talk with you, BJ, and I, I realized that I've probably forgotten more than than uh, <laughs> than I can remember project wise over the over the last few years. But you know, so we're we're a small company. Tra is a, a small company, and a lot of the things that I did 25 years ago. I still do to some extent now, <laughs> just because there's there's a decent amount of overlap in, in our positions. When I started a good chunk, a good chunk of my work, most of my work was doing work for rail safety oversight, rail transit safety oversight programs. and our, our company has a number of, of contracts assisting state departments of transportation in those areas. So you know, maybe fittingly enough, as a young analyst in this job, I spend a lot of time riding trains. We do a lot of uh, operations rules checks and procedures checks, you know, essentially doing mini safety audits every day. And that that's where I spend a lot of my time. And it's still true now in the analysts that are out in the office here, that's that's still a good chunk of what they do. Talk to us about what
0: that safety audit looks like. You you hop on a train and what are you looking at? What are you looking for?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, one of the principles of the way rail transit safety works and, and kind of the way it, it comes down from. The Federal Transit Administration is um, there's some basic structures for basic requirements for what a, a safety plan looks like for for a transit agency for a rail transit agency in particular and what they're required to speak to in in their safety plans. But the the rules the procedures that each transit agency has are are generally um, specific to those transit agencies. There's a lot of commonality between them, but you've been around to a couple cities. You know every transit agency is different. Unlike Railroading, unlike maritime or or aviation, you know, they're all a little different. So, what we have to do to to really execute those those operations checks well, and it's true for for maintenance as well, is to understand the transit agency's rules. So, you know, we have to kind of dive into that, know what they're required to do, and and then really look to see if they're if they're filling that. There's a certain amount of objective checks as well, where if if we see something that we think is potentially a has a safety impact or, or it could be an issue, even if it's not maybe called out in their rules, then we may need to take an extra step there and sort of point that issue out. But generally speaking, the, the, the first order of business is making sure that the transit agency is adhering to their own rules. So for me, as an analyst starting out, for our analysts here, even today, 25 years later, it's straightforward, but important stuff like, Looking at compliance with speed limits, looking at compliance with how trains are berth and how they exit stations, how doors are open and closed, uh, the, those kinds of things. Really the the basic fundamental safety rules that uh, go into the operation of a rail transit agency.
0: Do you find that most safety issues, you know, all right. So I, I hear what you're saying. You go in, you ensure that, hey, you said that these were the rules of your of your agency. Mm-hmm. we're going to check you know we're going to be a, an auditor or a third party objective reviewer of this a little bit of safety assurance versus safety control i guess is a way i would say most of the issues that end up being accidents and and this is fresh in my head because of the derailment in ohio that just happened human factors i've studied human factors in in decision making and in in risk management is speed usually the issue or is the infrastructure the issue what I, and I haven't seen any reports yet. I know we locally. I don't know how many years ago that was. That Amtrak derailed. Yes, was that ten years ago? Maybe more.
1: As about ten years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's been a few years. That's not the question I thought you were going to ask me. Although it's close. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, yeah, I mean, I think that factors like speed are often are an issue. But but I think that if you compare that versus. Infrastructure, and I guess you know, (laughs) taking some liberty with the question. Please do. Please do. Morphing it into into what I was expecting you to ask. There's like the you know Donald Rumsfeld used to say you know about the 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 known unknowns and the unknown unknowns. And there's the elements that we sort of have rules around, right? Like speed and and infrastructure maintenance and those kinds of things, versus the things that nobody has has maybe fully come to grips on the the risk of yeah right and my expectation would be based on past experience but absolutely no firsthand knowledge of of the situation in Ohio over the last couple of days, my expectation would be that that will come down to a fairly simple for lack of a better word a, a fairly straightforward cause that that probably relates to you know whether it's rail car maintenance or 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 track maintenance or whatever it might be and and probably one of the one of the known issues rather than one of the one of the unknown issues what gets interesting though to me and flipping it around the other way is a couple of things one is in the transit world one of the challenges from the federal transit administration over the last few years has been to think more about Risks that maybe we haven't traditionally thought of, and and to try to to quantify those, and to try, to try to get ahead of those rather than letting them sneak up on us. Of course, as in any industry, it can be really hard to do that. I mean, it's you know you get used to seeing what you see, but maybe discounting bigger risks or or more remote risks that that could still cause a major problem. So
0: something like a cyber on the signals,
1: yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, You know, I I was talking with one of our security guys today about there was an incident in the Carolinas a couple of weeks ago, and an, an attempted incident somewhere closer here within the last week or so. In the Carolinas, maybe two three weeks ago, uh, somebody went and shot up a couple of substations, yeah. electrical substations, and then there was a plot by uh, a couple, and I think they were close by here, Delaware, maybe some somewhere nearby, to do something similar in this area mm. um, recently. And, and the level of fortification, the level of of hardness of those targets, is maybe not as high as as it should be for the criticality of, of what it is. And, and and at the same time, it's one of those risks that, you know, maybe people hadn't thought of uh, just sort of a brute force attack against, against substations like that. But obviously the impact would be, would be very, very high if, if something like that was successful. So I think, you know, thinking about, yeah, like cyber attacks against, you know sort of softer targets or you know even some of those simpler attacks like that sort of die back a little bit and think about what could possibly go wrong and 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 be more realistic about the the probability and the uh the the likelihood and the, the impact of those things
0: i'm trying to remember his name black swan was the book yeah um, Oof.
1: um that's touching my memory too uh, i know what you're talking about the Nassim...
0: theme I we'll put it in the show notes also. That's that's the beauty of podcasts. We get to keep talking and we'll we'll do the research later. But Black Swan events and it it is all about like, hey, what's what's the realm of the impossible that it seems impossible, but it, it may be more likely than than we recognize. One of the incidents on that was the whole thought process of the somebody hijacking an airplane and turning it into a you know weapon of mass destruction, basically.
1: Yeah absolutely
0: so kind of the next next question is over your career path you know i I've always learned that the the safety officer on a construction project kind of reports up to to corporate or, or to the project executive and separates it from production and quality control similarly mm-hmm. you're coming in as an objective third party how do you how do you balance that role how do you communicate your findings when there's issues going on uh, any lessons in in kind of leading an organization from that outside consultative role and, and bringing those issues Mm. and then getting compliance in them, increasing compliance.
1: This is super, super important topic. BJ, it's something that when we do job interviews, people of all levels of experience here when when um, we're talking with our clients, it's something we bring up all the time and and that that old book about how to win f- friends and influence <laughs> people you know we have the the consultant's version, you know how to uh, deliver findings without being a jerk I think is what it is and and i don't I don't know for me that there's an absolute answer. It I, I think it's one of those things that that uh, just just like that book I'm, I'm only half joking about yeah. that I mean I think there is some some relevance to it There's four or five six different you know good methods to that and certainly one of the things for us as a as a consulting company as a contractor is is making sure. That we're aligned with what our client is looking for too, and often they have past experience that dictates whether the the conversation is going to be uh, a little softer. Gee, it would be really nice if you would clean up your rule compliance in this area, or if there's been past problems where it's going to turn into um, you don't do this, we're going to shut you down, right? (laughs) You know, Um, and and uh, everywhere in between. So it's it's definitely something that we think a lot about and and is really in in the the forefront of our minds when when we're doing our work. And to me, I feel like it's. um, you know it's like everything good in life, like uh you know foreign language, yoga, you know math, you know it's a practice, you know, and it's you know the more you do it, the better the better you are at it but it's um i I think that that there's a there's a bunch of different ways to go about it and and sort of reading the room in our case, when we're doing those safety oversight projects, that includes both both our client, the safety oversight agency, and the other stakeholders in the room, often transit agency personnel and And finding the right fit that way, I think that's that's where we have to be,
0: so uh just so I clearly can you know see this d o t typically would hire you and then they would send you to a New Jersey transit as an example n j d o t would hire you
1: yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah, so safety oversight for rail transit is is different. Than it is for other for a lot of other modes of transportation. Rail transit, in particular, is done state by state. So, so yes, that's exactly how that would work. You know, whether it's uh, New Jersey's Department of Transportation, Pennsylvania, you know, Michigan, whatever it might be. Where it's different is railroads, for example. if like we talk about the accident right. in Ohio, that's overseen by the Federal Railroad Administration directly, and part of the. The historical reason for that, among many others, is is because it is a national network versus some of the city centered transit networks that that are you know sort of specific to a to a, gotcha. a location.
0: Is Amtrak federal or is Amtrak run by state by state that it runs through?
1: Yeah, Amtrak's federal, and one of the the easy tests for that is because not just because it's interstate, uh, but but because. It runs on the national railroad network. Okay, that's that's the difference, and it's it's a little bit of a gray area. But the way I think about it is like I, I mentioned Paco earlier, mm-hmm. you know, sort of my my ride to work here right. and and uh, Mike Mike Venuto's uh, uh, place of work runs between states, runs between New Jersey and and Pennsylvania. I just a few minutes ago was talking with somebody from St. Louis. They have a system there that runs between. Uh, Missouri and, and Illinois, still a transit system though, because it's a, it's a closed system. So the feds view that as a, as a rail transit system instead of a, of a railroad uh, like Amtrak.
0: Gotcha. So in that example, though, it, it's two States who, you know, I, I know that DRPA is a bi-state agency, Port Authority, New York, New Jersey, bi-state agency. Yes. Whose, yep. whose state DOT
1: rules Trump? Yeah. So there's, there's a, maybe not a rule, but a section of the rule under the, the Federal Transit Administration rule that says that two states can, can sort of work that out in, in a couple of different ways. And I'd be stretching my memory for the exact language, but they can, they can come up with a, um, with a, a designation. So in the case of Pennsylvania and New Jersey for PACO, what they do is, uh, New Jersey. Oversees okay. the PACO system. Pennsylvania doesn't doesn't really spend as much time with that one. Really, none at all, um, because it's it's from an, an office corporate ownership perspective. Really, is more based in New right. Jersey, and the bulk of the assets are in New Jersey. But there there are other approaches to that. Uh, the the Illinois Missouri one that I mentioned earlier. Both of those states have separate programs, and they agree on one approach that they're going to use consistently on both sides of the river in gotcha. that case. So that's another option. And then where things get really interesting is in a place like uh, DC, for example. So the DC metro system has Commonwealth of Virginia, the district, of course, and the state of Maryland. And they actually have a separate entity that that they've created that has representation from those three. Okay, And they it, it's sort of a separate political body that does the safety oversight there. So there's a couple different options with that. Cool.
0: See, everybody, you don't you don't appreciate how complex the world is until you until you start hearing these conversations.
1: That's it. Look, I, I'll tell you. I, I, I always joke with people. I, I now walk down the street and think about like sewer lines and things <laughs> that, that I never thought of before. Like you know, this is somebody's life. <laughs> it's it's <laughs> one of
0: our goals is is to to help people appreciate. I, I was just doing a podcast about yeah. the Super Bowl. And the unsung heroes that are running the facility and making those events happen, it's one of our our goals is to make people appreciate public infrastructure more so that when it's public policy issue around how much we're investing in this stuff, people understand like, hey, this stuff's pretty important.
1: It's the backbone of everything we're doing takes an army of people to, to run this stuff, you know, and, and you see it, for me, I see it a little more commonly, like when, when I go to the airport, for example, and I think about, you know, the people getting on and off a plane, cleaning planes, or, or pushing planes back, or all yeah. the people that are on the back end, on the control side end. I feel like that's a little more visible for people yeah. sometimes, but but on the transit side of the world, I mean, it, it takes just an army of people. When you think of the track inspections and signal tests and, and vehicle maintenance and power maintenance and all these different things, it's really incredible how the resources that it does take. But at the same time, it's incredible how well it works I, uh, <laughs> agree. Know, for,
0: for the most part. Agree. Inspiring People in Places is brought to you by MCFA. MCFA is a CVE-verified, service-disabled, veteran-owned small business. At MCFA, our why is to inspire people and places through project leadership. We provide planning, strategy, program management, and construction management support services to a wide variety of public and private sector clients. So, Dan, you brought up How to Win Friends and Influence People. Great book. There's another one for consultants out there, Getting Naked. I think it's a Patrick Lencioni book. It's a classic at MCFA. Any other must-read books in your library, professional or not?
1: Yeah, one of the ones that I saw a lot on people's bookshelves over the last three or so years during political news spots uh, was *The Power Broker* by uh-huh. um, Robert Power- Caro. Which, oh gosh, yeah, about Robert Moses. Yeah, I can remember we were talking about my starting my career earlier. I can remember starting that twelve hundred-page book. <laughs> you know, at, at one point, and I think I must have gotten on and off of a plane with that book, probably about. Fifty times, trying to finish it. But yeah, just such a a great book. And you think about infrastructure, and as we were talking a moment ago about everything that goes into operating infrastructure. To me, the power broker is an amazing view into, obviously, a specific, specialized situation, but an amazing view into what goes into getting infrastructure built, and and uh, or what could go into it.
0: Without a doubt, I mean. You talk about the triangle of like technical solutions and operations, public policy and, and the financial, yeah. you know, the, the, the actual investment. I agree that it's it's fascinating and very political, yes. you know, he kind of, the power broker as it, as it states, he kind of controlled the ball, but now it's it's a lot more scrutiny on, on how that stuff happens. Outside yeah. of the office, anything that you're involved in, in your community or family-wise?
1: Yeah, just getting a little bit more time to think about some of that stuff the last couple of weeks and months here. So I have been able to to dive into some other fun stuff. Certainly, I mean, the family is is most of my time. We, as I mentioned earlier, we have a a big family. So my partner and I are are right close by here, not too far from the office. You know, she and I keep busy with her uh, work and and she's running um, a dog rescue for gosh, probably. 17 years, 15, oh, wow. 17 years. So that keeps us busy uh, for sure. The rest of my family keeps me busy a lot. But my big thing over the last few years, a couple of decades really, has been uh, I do a lot of bicycle riding. So I do a lot of a lot of riding and a lot of racing when I'm in shape enough to do it. <laughs> One of the things I picked up recently that has um, been really really good is uh, the National, let's see if I can get this right, National Interscholastic Cycling Association, I believe it is. It's uh, NICA. is a uh, middle school and, and high school league for mountain biking for kids and uh, actually just started working with an old friend of mine here in South Jersey a team that he's run for several years and helping him uh, coach and, um, oh, and kind awesome. of keep up with the kids with that yeah it's it's been really cool they joke they haven't killed me yet they're trying <laughs> but
0: uh, i'm still keeping up with And any any must ride uh trails
1: here in the Philadelphia area Oh there's there's tons of good riding in in the Philadelphia area what what's really interesting to me is uh, Years ago, I I had a uh, a coach, a guy that I was working with, who was from West Virginia, and of course, a little more rugged yeah. uh, terrain wise <laughs> out there. And and you know, I told him one day, I said, "Hey, I'm you know, I'm going mountain biking this week." And he says, "Where the heck is there to mountain bike in New Jersey?" <laughs> well, look, we got this covered. One of the things I've always loved about riding my bike and and competing in this area is it slowed down a little bit with COVID the last few years. But it used to be the case where if you rode a couple of different disciplines, you did road racing, did, you know, maybe mountain biking in the fall, cyclocross in in the, in the, um, or sorry, mountain biking in the summer, cyclocross in the, in the fall, you could race, actually talk about things that people never see. You could race once or twice a weekend somewhere in, in the Philadelphia area without having to drive more than like an hour or an hour and a half um it's one of those one of those things that like who knew that people even do this you know but (laughs) but it's it's there you know And, and so i i really enjoy racing and and this is a is a really good place to be for for racing for sure as far as places to ride mountain bike i mean there's um gosh I mean, there's white clay down in in delaware that's you know, maybe an hour away the brandywine area down in, yeah. in delaware is also super super nice for mountain biking just beautiful in general there's uh a couple of places that we like to go to in south jersey that are that are not crazy hilly but but they're lots of fun the the kids that that we work with actually ride at gloucester township park okay um, next to Camden county uh college there Super, super nice, and uh, my best friend and I have been riding there every weekend for several years now. That's that's a great time, and then uh, probably the the big one, more of a challenge than I can take on, is uh, the Wissahickon in Fairmount Park in the city. Last time I did that, I came away with a black eye and a broken rib, so <laughs> I, I uh, try to choose my battles a little bit when it comes to the Wissahickon. But, but yeah, lots of good options. <laughs> yeah, for sure. All right.
0: Dead or alive, if you could hang out with three people for a day or have three people at the dinner table, who would they be?
1: Oh gosh, three people. Well, I'm a Philly guy, so so really high on my list. Probably my favorite musician is Amir Thompson, Questlove, yeah, uh, from The Roots. I, I love the man. I mean, I, I just uh so much admiration for for that guy. Definitely, he'd be at the table. Gosh, so many different interesting people to think about. You know, my brain really does go to music. So there would probably be a maybe Prince, maybe David Bowie is in there. You know, okay, <laughs> it's something something in that in that area. I also think about just sort of recent uh, politics and recent leaders, I, I would love to sit down with Barack Obama for for an hour, you know, for yeah. two hours and, and just sort of hear him talk about where he's been and and where he thinks uh, things are headed.
0: I think him and Love could get along.
1: I, I think they have in the past, actually. I think so too. Yeah, yeah I think they have. Gosh, yeah. I, I mean, I w- it would take me a lot to winnow down the list to just three, even if you just went with a live in, in the Philadelphia area. So many fascinating people. And you think about, you know, the leaders that we have here, are, I'd love to sit down with the mayor yeah. in, in Philadelphia for 30 minutes, just just to hear how they think about things. So many fascinating people. Thinking back to what we were talking about with um, Penn earlier, and, and you had mentioned Ed Bacon. Um, yeah. You know, it's you know, maybe a little bit different, but one of the best parts of my experience going to school at Penn was at the time they were starting up the Center City District here in, in Philadelphia, which uh, you know, does a does a lot of cleanup and maintenance in, in Philadelphia it was one of the first special services districts okay. in the country. One of the guys that we had as a part time professor out there at Penn was um Paul Levy, who runs Center City District, yeah. who's just Yeah, fascinating. I mean, he's just and and what what he's been able to do again in line with um, what we talked about those those things you don't see. What he's been able to do with the city of Philadelphia and important but but relatively straightforward things like lighting, you know, keep keeping sidewalks clean, you know, even thinking about uh, how they partner with the city and work to, to keep vulnerable populations off the street when it's below freezing, those kinds of things. Uh, to me, that's, that's fascinating. So I, I think, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'd be well over my limit of three just getting <laughs> people in the city here. That's all right.
0: We, we give, we give uh, plenty of license to you for uh, taking the question where you want to go. Any favorite quotes?
1: Hmm. No, not really. All right. <laughs> Not really. You know, I, I've, I've spent so much time over the years reading books and philosophies from so many different angles, from so many different backgrounds. And, and uh, you know, they, they tend to stick with me for, for a day or a week or whatever and then disappear. Yeah. Uh,
0: that's okay. And then uh, legacy. How do you want to be remembered? What do you want on your tombstone?
1: Oh, gosh. One of the things that, that I have really enjoyed about the last 25 years of doing this job is i i love working with people i mean i i love working with the people that we have here at tra i love working with the the clients and the stakeholders that we had so if i can go out you know roughly in that same space where you know most people didn't think i was a jerk we got some good <laughs> things done at work i'll be happy and then somewhere down the bottom, I, I, I wanted to say that that man made a, a mean guacamole. All right. That's, that's really, that's, that's, that's my parting thought.
0: Since, since you're close, <laughs> I want to try it.
1: It's, I, I get good feedback on it, you know, and I, I, there's not much else that I can cook. So I got to stick with what, <laughs> hey, what works for me. Stick to your strengths. <laughs> All right. That's it. Dan, it was so great having you on the
0: show. Thanks for what you do to keep us safe, keep our, our rail system safe and, uh, and going, and appreciate your insight and your time.
1: Thank you so much, BJ. I appreciate it. All right.
0: Hey, everybody. If you're enjoying this show, do us a favor and subscribe to Inspiring People and Places on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast hosting platform. We'd also greatly appreciate if you left us a review and shared this with other entrepreneurial public servants and all your friends and family in the AEC space. Be sure to visit our website, www.mcfaglobal.com sign up for our newsletter to stay in touch with us and learn about all of the projects and clients we're helping. Last but not least, we are hiring. We are always hiring. Do us a favor. Take a look at what jobs we have open. Contact us through our website or connect with me on LinkedIn. Until next time, have a great rest of your week and a great weekend.